BC's high rate of hospitalization. It's the inability to give patients the care they truly need and deserve. It's morally distressing. Troubling COVID trends and why some say the province needs to do more. Vaccine resistance. It's still quite alarming, certainly seeing those numbers. A new poll reveals why some won't get the shot no matter what. And a new perspective on our province's past. Those changes are being done because it's about time. Why the Royal BC Museum is recreating some of its longest running exhibits. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's COVID numbers have been relatively stable over the past few weeks, even trending downward. But a troubling new trend has now emerged with more people ending up in hospital. And as Richard Zussman shows us, that's putting a lot of pressure on the healthcare system, especially in the north. They are the milestones the province hopes to avoid. COVID-19 hospitalizations hitting a nearly six-month high this week but the province ensuring people the system still has capacity. One of the reasons why we want to see a reduction in hospitalization in this period is because uh, the winter months where other respiratory illnesses are around are challenging months as always for the healthcare system. Back in May, there were 474 people in hospital with COVID-19. After a summer cratering, hospitalizations have doubled since September. Interior Health with 56 COVID hospital patients, Fraser 161, Coastal 79, Island 58. And when population is factored in, nowhere worse than Northern Health with 82 people in hospital. At this point in the pandemic, their patient loads are so high and it, it's the inability to give patients the care they truly need and deserve. It's morally distressing. That doesn't include the 99 people. 84 who are COVID patients who have been moved from intensive care in the north over the last few months. Since Sunday, nine further people have been transferred out, six of them from the two Peace River local health areas. So this is very significant, very significant uh, challenge for our health care system. Adding to the pressure, unvaccinated health care workers now on unpaid leave. 98% of workers in the system have received a COVID-19 vaccine, but it still means 3,117 haven't. Ontario deciding today not to put in place a mandate for vaccine for health care workers, citing staffing problems in B.C. There's no evidence for that here. The, uh, the evidence is all that we need to do this to uh, keep our hospitals, our long-term care homes, our assisted living homes safe. Hospitalizations are what is called a lagging indicator. And with COVID cases stable, the hope is hospital trends will follow suit, going down. Even so, BC now third among provinces in terms of COVID cases. And if trends continue, we'll soon have more daily cases per capita than Alberta. Some experts warning without significant changes in strategies, those milestones are looking harder to avoid. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at today's numbers. We have 430 new cases, 4,373 active cases right now. There is a delay in getting all of the hospital numbers, but we do know there are 137 patients in the ICU. There have been six more deaths from complications of the virus, and 85.5% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. 
Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, another number that has been jumping out in the past week, past few weeks, that is a little surprising at this point of the pandemic. The number of deaths is pretty concerning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the most troubling number of all because the number of people dying from COVID-19 has really spiked upwards in the last two months or so. Take a look at the stats starting back in September 4th when we had a relative. This is weekly stats uh, for the weeks ending September 4th, 21 people died. But then look at the jump through the end of September to 35 and then in the high 40s through October. Again, more than double what we saw in early September. The Delta variant is out there and it's really infecting unvaccinated people who are paying a very heavy cost here. Health Minister Adrian Dix pointed out just how big a threat that virus poses to unvaccinated people. But you're 40 times more likely, 40 times, 4-0, 40 times more likely to be hospitalized if you're not vaccinated. And the only thing I can say to people is it's time to get vaccinated. And get vaccinated because you want to support everyone else who needs public health care, but mostly get vaccinated to protect yourself, your family, your friends, your community. So again, in terms of who is dying from COVID-19, about 60% of the deaths right now are in unvaccinated people. So 294 people passed away between September 4th and October 23rd. That means 176 people of that group were unvaccinated. This number has been holding steady for some time. Again, the majority are older people, but I note that in September, in that time frame, uh, more than 25 people under the age of 50 passed away from COVID-19, most of them unvaccinated. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Still no word on vaccinations for younger children in Canada, but they are already getting their COVID-19 vaccinations in the United States. An advisory panel of the Centers for Disease Control recommends use of the low-dose shot. 28 million children between the ages of 5 and 11 are now eligible for the vaccine, and kids across the U.S. are rolling up their sleeves already. Those who receive their initial dose today We'll be back in three weeks for a second dose. I was excited. We've been waiting for it for a while. It's just one more layer of protection for them and for our family. Health Canada hasn't authorized the child dose yet, and there's no timeline for when that might happen either. Now, new insight on those who are digging in their heels and still refusing to get vaccinated. An Angus Reid poll shows a majority of respondents cite personal freedom and health concerns. And as John Hua reports, misinformation is still driving these people away from the vaccine. They are without a doubt passionate in their protests. Some even hostile against the public health guidance. Now, a new Angus Reid survey is providing some insight into the reasons why some are so resistant to getting the COVID-19 vaccine. What's going on with these folks? What's happening with them? Who are they? And what is it that they think? Across Canada, among those who remain unsure about getting vaccinated, 55% said it's about personal freedom. 49% had health concerns. And a third believe COVID-19 was not a serious health threat. One thing that really sticks out is a significant part of what we're seeing is around misinformation and absolute mistrust of authority. Focusing on the health arguments, 90% of unvaccinated Canadians thought the COVID risks are overstated. 84% think their immune system can handle it. And 75% believe vaccine side effects are more serious than the virus. That's why doctors on the ground are still working very hard to combat that misinformation. And we're trying to, we may have to do it one person at a time. So of British Columbians who refuse to get the shot, what will it take to move the needle amongst the unvaccinated? 
requiring more and more proof of vaccination in their everyday lives with sinking with just 3% of those polled. Only 2% say they'd be convinced if they saw a friend or relative hospitalized with COVID-19. Compare that with the much larger percentage that continue to pull away. 47% say there is absolutely nothing that could convince them to ever get vaccinated. It saddens me and it, it's really quite shocking to me that we're at this stage and we, we have something, but we're still fighting the same fight. For many health professionals, knowing what makes this small but vocal minority tick might help with the conversations. We, the people, take back the power. They're bound to have with unvaccinated parents who will soon have to make that choice for their young children. John Hua, Global News. And dozens of protesters gathered outside the Kelowna Police Services building Wednesday morning, rallying to support officers who do not want the COVID vaccine. They should have the right to choose what medical treatments they receive and what they don't. And they can take the risk if they want to not be vaccinated or vaccinated. We're concerned and we're very glad to know that there are some Mounties that feel the same way and that will stick by people regardless of what their point of view is. Last month, Ottawa announced that core public servants, including members and reservists of the RCMP, must be vaccinated or face suspension without pay as early as November 15th. Organizer David Lindsay says not all officers are on board with the mandate and adds today's rally was to show them they're not alone. We've had a lot of rallies and a lot of activities over the last 18 months opposing the, the COVID issues. And... They've given a lot of support to a lot of people in the exercise of their rights and freedoms. So we're to support them and let them know that their oath is to the monarch. It's not to Bonnie Henry and it's not to the government. The National Police Federation, the union representing RCMP officers, has already stated it will support members' choice to be vaccinated or not. Meantime, Air Canada has suspended more than 800 employees for not being fully vaccinated. The airline confirms the vast majority of their 27,000 employees have received both shots. Those who have not and have not supplied valid exemption letters have been put on unpaid leave. New federal regulations require air, rail and shipping companies to have mandatory vaccination policies for employees. With the theft of catalytic converters from vehicles spiking across B.C. comes news of a mystifying loophole that makes it even easier for the thieves to cash in. As Grace Key reports, a 10-year-old law designed to combat metal theft does not include the converters. So this is our cat cage. At Capital Salvage in Vancouver, owner Dove DeMont is offered a few catalytic converters a week. Some are worthless, others a few hundred dollars or even up to a thousand dollars each, though that's not as common. You'll notice they're all marked. And then this is what we do. We number them, matches the transaction in our system. So if there is any problem, we can come back and identify, find out who sold it to us. All our purchases, a customer needs to provide um, either a valid driver's license or valid BCID. Their information is taken off of that, which is linked up with the Vancouver Police. But DeMont isn't required to do this. The BC Metal Dealers and Recyclers Act, created a decade ago, requires dealers to record each purchase. It was in response to increasing metal thefts, but the materials in converters aren't on the list of regulated metals. Legislation is obviously one part, 
The other part is working with the police and identifying, okay, are there other ways in which catalytic converters are being diverted uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for, for illegal uses? Uh, and then uh, looking at, at what initiatives uh, need to be taken in order to stop that. But in terms of the legislation and the loophole, we are absolutely going to close it. Catalytic converters don't have serial numbers on them, but DeMont says he has turned sellers away if the car owner put a distinctive marking on it. If somebody you know, spray painted their cat yellow, called us up, someone stole a cat, you know, it's bright yellow. Some guy walks in a bright yellow cat, well, I'm not going to buy it. Excuse me! Catalytic converters will continue to be a hot commodity for thieves, as long as the cost of some of those precious metals found inside continues to climb. Grace Key, Global News. The Vancouver Fire Rescue Service says a ban on fireworks on Halloween translated to fewer fires and less damage. However, the ban did not eliminate the annual and largely unregulated Halloween fireworks display over Vancouver. And many risked a $1,000 fine to set off their pyrotechnic display. Still, the fire service says it responded to just 14 incidents this year. That compare, that's compared to 35 last year. And the value of burned property fell from $408,000 last year to just $5,500 this year. The Royal BC Museum takes a fresh look at our past, re-examining our province's history from all perspectives and making sure the exhibits more accurately reflect the impact of colonization. What's changing? Next on the News Hour. An Asian giant hornet found in an unusual place. And why bug experts say we probably don't have to worry about this murderous invader yet. That's later on the News Hour. And the Canucks unveil their Diwali celebration jersey, where you can get one coming up. Right now, though, the controversy surrounding the mayor of Williams Lake is not going away. Walt Cobb shared an offensive social media post about residential schools, but his efforts to backtrack have done little to ease calls for his resignation. Here's Aaron MacArthur. Seriously sorry. Very, very sorry. Censured by counsel. The suggestion that one is merely forwarding another's opinion on residential schools is wrong. If things do not change, I'm not sure I can continue to be part of this council. And if you can't or won't do better, then I suggest you revisit your decision to run for office again. Condemned by the community. I feel hurt. I feel violated. Yet Williams Lake Mayor Walt Cobb's apology falling short of what many people expected. As the article shared was on my personal page and not on my mayor's page, it is my opinion that Williams Lake First, First Nations letter is a personal attack on me, myself. The post Cobb shared called into question the legitimacy of the trauma caused by the residential school system, the Williams Lake First Nation, the Chilcotin National Government and groups across the country have asked for the mayor's resignation. An online petition now has hundreds of signatures. After Tuesday's council meeting, the calls for Cobb to step aside have only grown louder. I am very encouraged by the remarks and how the council has condemned uh, the mayor. I mean, maybe that's a group that we could work with moving forward, but the mayor himself has a lot of work to do before we can sit at the table together again. We will continue to, to reach out. We will continue, or I will particularly, for, for what happened and, and what I caused, uh, I will continue to reach out and 
see what we can do to make things better. Council passed two motions at Tuesday's meeting, one officially condemning the history of residential schools and committing to be guided by the findings in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, big changes are coming to the Royal BC Museum. Changes some say are long overdue. Two well-known exhibits will be shut down and transformed to offer a more inclusive perspective of the history of this land. Kamal Karamali has more on the museum's decolonization process and what the new exhibits might look like. Cobblestone streets, traditional storefronts, and a replica of Captain George Vancouver's ship. Take one last look, because chances are the next time you visit the Royal BC Museum, all of this will be gone. This exhibition um, really does take a European settler point of view. And that's why the museum is shutting down all of its exhibitions on the third floor, winding down the displays from now until early January. That includes the Becoming BC and First Peoples galleries. It's the museum's efforts at decolonization. That's just not a complete narrative on what we today see as modern British Columbia. A B.C. Public Service Agency report released in June said some of the museum's displays are offensive and reinforce the colonial history of the province. It also found acts of racism and discrimination against the museum's indigenous staff members. Part of consultation is responding to the fact that people said, do something about it, it's offensive, we don't want to bring our kids there, makes it look like indigenous people didn't play an important part of our history. So now an attempt to leave the past behind and allow Indigenous peoples to write the next chapter. That narrative will be rebuilt uh, on the basis of a very wide set of consultations with the various peoples and nations that make up modern British Columbia. Troy Sebastian is a former curator at the museum. Indigenous stories need to be told by Indigenous peoples. He hopes the museum will now allow visitors to learn about the province's history through a new perspective. There needs to be Indigenous peoples in, in the museum leading this charge, leading this, leading this direction. And uh, the fact that that's not part of the announcement today really says a lot about where the museum is really at. Although it'll only take a couple of months to take down the galleries, the Royal BC Museum says it could take years to build new exhibitions, proving it takes time to create new history. Kamal Kermali, Global News. Ottawa is in discussions with Indigenous communities about the lowering of the Canadian flag on Remembrance Day. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole says national flags should be raised for Remembrance Week and then lowered again as they traditionally have been to remember Canada's war dead. However, flags have been lowered on all federal buildings since the discovery of hundreds of unmarked graves back in the spring, believed to belong to Indigenous children who attended residential schools. I've had a a number of very good conversations, including with Indigenous veterans. So we have thousands of Indigenous peoples that have served in the Canadian Armed Forces. On November 8th, we honour Indigenous veterans. So Remembrance Week is very important for the entire country. That's why I think we need to have the flag up. The Prime Minister says work is underway with Indigenous people across the country to come to a solution ahead of Remembrance Day. But neither his office nor the Assembly of First Nations had an update today. Up next, how we're losing the fight against fraud. Assessing risk, training people, training your staff. All the ways public sector institutions are failing to protect you and your information. 
And a Fernie institution reinvents itself to survive COVID. What the Raging Elk is offering its customers now. Lots of extra volume for northbound traffic this evening at the Knight Street Bridge after clearing an earlier stall. It was northbound at the south end in the left lane and traffic is backed up to the east-west connector now. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. There's evidence more than half of all public sector organizations in B.C. are not doing enough to protect against fraud and potentially significant losses. That's according to a new report from the province's Auditor General. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on those troubling findings. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. In the first provincial review of its kind, the office surveyed 140 B.C. public sector organizations, including ministries, crown corporations, post-secondary institutions, school districts and health authorities, and it turns out many of them are not doing enough to protect against fraud. This was the most extensive fraud risk management survey ever done of the B.C. public sector, where questions were asked about fraud, risk governance, assessment, prevention, detection, investigation, corrective action and reporting. It turns out 91% of respondents have internal controls to prevent frauds, but perhaps most troubling, 52% of public sector organizations do not have formal policies in place to guard against fraud, including BCIT, Infrastructure BC, and Royal Roads University. 55% of those surveyed do not conduct regular fraud risk management assessments, including the Justice Institute of BC, Providence Healthcare Society, and the Burnaby School District. It is very important because, um, uh, partially because of the time that we live in, uh, going through a pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, you know, the, the science, the research will show that the likelihood of fraud is actually going up. My message to organizations in the public sector in British Columbia would be simple. Put a fraud risk policy in place. Make sure everybody in the organization knows the policy. Assess the risk, put the controls in place, and train people so they know what to look for and what to be careful on. The Association of Certified Fraud Examiners estimates that organizations lose up to 5% of their revenue to fraud every year. BC's Auditor General says a complete and thorough approach to fraud risk management is essential to effectively manage that threat. Now, we reach out to all six organizations mentioned. The Burnaby School District says it has a comprehensive enterprise risk management process that incorporates many financial risks. Royal Roads University says it will delve deeper into the auditor general seven key points of focus for public sector organizations and infrastructure bc says it will determine next steps after reviewing the survey results and if you have a consumer issue for me there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca all right thanks very much ann and uh, cyber attacks of course are growing across the country new data shows increased online use means Increased online threats, including ransomware attacks. And as Global's Tomasia da Silva reports, for one victim, that was a double whammy. My mother and sister died in 2018. 
It was a devastating loss. Now Connie Hamilton is facing another, the loss of those memories after her Facebook account was hacked. I would like to have those pictures and those memories back. In messages, Hamilton pleads, you hacked my profile. It holds my memories of my dead mother and sister. Please give it back. The response, it will cost you $100 to send you the username and password. Hamilton, yeah, no, you can't be trusted even a little bit. Crushing souls just for fun? I just trust the site that I'm on. Hamilton was alerted to the hack October 26th. She acted quickly, but not quickly enough. He's hacking me at the same time out of Nigeria on his device, and he beats me. He, he beats me clean. He changes the email, my email verification. He changes my phone number. All of which were linked to her other social media accounts and her business accounts. She secured those and again refused to pay. Like, is a 12-year-old beating me? Because who asks for $100? It's, but it, it's either that or it's a process. If I give the 100 bucks, then maybe he's, he, you know, it's never-ending, right? We don't say never pay. But this cybersecurity expert agrees you may be setting yourself up. If you pay, are you going to get your stuff back? Maybe they'll just ask for more money. Hamilton tried asking Facebook for help. No human contact. There has been zero human contact which is startling. Don't critically rely on something like Facebook. Don't even rely on your own computer. Have a backup somewhere. So if your computer is hacked and the ransomware guy says, I want a million dollars, you go, no. It's still a no from Connie Hamilton, but she's bracing herself for what could come next. So he hasn't done anything malicious. He doesn't have my bank accounts or anything, but I mean, it could, it could get real worse real quick. Coming up, backlash against B.C.'s plan to protect old-growth forests. How one of the province's oldest and most important industries is reacting to news lead to devastating job losses. And investigating a giant Asian hornet found in Langley and why experts are studying its DNA. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Good evening. Traffic has finally eased off over here southbound at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing not one but two earlier problems. Still dealing with some leftover volume through the east-west connector and the S-curve. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. BC's already battered forest industry is in an uproar following the province's decision to defer the harvest of more than 2 million hectares of old growth forests. As Ted Chernecki reports, the industry says it will have to shut down mills and it'll kill tens of thousands of jobs in an industry already suffering from the pandemic. A punch in the gut, not thought through. A technical advisory board loaded with environmentalists, and there'll be far more than 4,500 jobs lost. That's some of the reaction to yesterday's announcement that the province was deferring the harvest of 2.6 million hectares of old-growth forest in B.C. Taking, uh, you know, 2.6 million cubic meters out of the 
uh, harvesting land base is going to have very significant impacts on many of our workers and communities. Using its own research, here's what BC's Council of Forest Industries believes old growth deferral losses will be. Not 4,500, but up to 18,000 jobs, $400 million in lost revenue to the province. 14 to 20 sawmills could close, two pulp mills, and an unknown ripple effect on value-added manufacturing. It's troubling that the industry that has really um, done so much to help uh, support the province through this pandemic period and, frankly, support the provincial economy for generations is, is taking such a big hit. A map showing where the old growth deferral areas are can be found on the ministry's website updated yesterday. Of the 11 areas identified from seven sisters in the north to three in the Kootenays to one in Upper Southgate and another at Skagit Silver Daisy and five of the 11 on Vancouver Island. And that doesn't necessarily mean this is where the jobs will be lost. Let's be clear that uh, communities will be impacted. The uh, technical advisory panel that was, was struck was not a balanced panel. Panel. It, uh, four of the five members were from environmental uh, background. In reacting to the reaction, the minister today said there will be several unspecified support programs to be announced in the coming days to help those who will lose their jobs. It's not about the environment or the economy. It's about ensuring that we can do both, that we can work together, that we can have a sustainable, resilient forest industry. First Nations have been given 30 days to indicate whether or not they support the deferrals or need further discussions. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, we know more today about that single Asian giant hornet found in B.C. The hornet was discovered recently in Langley near 216th Street and 3rd Avenue, not in a hornet trap, but in a Japanese beetle trap. Scientists believe it had been in that trap since late September, but wasn't found because the trap is only checked once a month. They say it was only a few hundred meters from the area in Washington state where giant hornet nests had recently been destroyed, and they're almost certain it was from one of those nests. DNA, is, uh, DNA testing is being done to confirm that. If the test results show that she has a totally different DNA and is therefore unrelated, well, that will open up an entirely new discussion because that would mean that uh, the Asian giant hornet may have a far greater chance of successful establishment here on the West Coast than what we had previously thought. Having said that, Weston Dorp says officials fully expect those tests will confirm the hornet is from one of the destroyed nests. Police have identified a suspect in a racist incident on a bus in Kelowna that was caught on camera last weekend. Video of the incident was posted to Facebook. It also shows the suspect hitting another passenger on the bus before getting off. With the help of the public and media reports, Kelowna RCMP say they have identified a suspect. The individual's name has not been released as the investigation is ongoing. And at this point, no charges have been laid. The province is proclaiming November as Sick Nation Blood Donation Month. More than 50 people from across the province congregate at the legislature to mark the occasion. The Sick Nation organized its first blood drive in Surrey in November 1999 to commemorate violence the community suffered in India 15 years earlier, in which more than 3,000 Sikhs died. The province says blood drive organizers inspire others to give as well. Faces have come and they've gone, but one thing that has stayed the same is the campaign's soul. 
It's the anguish and pain that lives in the hearts of each volunteer and donor that collectively turns into hope right here in this campaign. The Sick Nation blood drive now spans dozens of locations across the country. Volunteers have collected enough blood to help save 160,000 lives. Excellent work. And coming up, the raging elk reborn. Just having my own space in these pods is making it a really fantastic uh, holiday for me. A well-known Fernie hostel finds a way to survive the pandemic. How it's drawing in new customers. And wear it proudly, the Canucks' new Diwali jersey, and why you'll celebrate if you can get one. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Thursday, November 11th. This program is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion to honor Canada's veterans. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Can we hear it? The rain? Oh, it's the rain that you... <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, usually we can hear it if it is raining behind you, but I can't hear mm -hmm. it tonight. How's it, how's it out there now? Well, it's dry right now, so that's why you can't hear it, yeah, for sure. But it's been coming in waves, so heavy at times. All of a sudden, the sky will just open up, and then we get a little bit of a break. That's not going to be the case, though, overnight. We're still dealing with this parade of storms. But I wanted to show you the one we're dealing with right now. It's a massive uh, sort of comma, as you can see, just targeting the south coast and spreading right into the interior and northern regions over the next little while. So, yes, we've got more rain on the way. If you are seeing dry conditions like I am right now, again, and we are expecting it overnight. So 10 to 25 millimeters overnight, and that's until about 9 a.m. tomorrow. And then we'll continue to see rain during the day tomorrow with another 10 to 25 millimeters for Metro Vancouver. So keep that rain jacket handy. Tomorrow's daytime high, about 12 degrees. And yes, the parade of storms, another one on Friday. Another one on Saturday. We may see a little bit of a lull. Nope, not much of one on Sunday. And then another one pushes in late Monday and then another one Wednesday. One thing I wanted to give you a heads up on, though, is that we are still expecting much cooler air to push in through the early part of next week. So we're talking about the potential for snow even over lower elevation regions away from the water, so in the interior. But that's a heads up on that. Nonetheless, a parade of storms at this point dealing with rainfall. Don't forget, a great resource for you is your your sky tracker app it's free just download it on your phone and you can get pinpoint forecasts for your specific area so rainfall from basically Dees Lake South is going to be a wet one tomorrow and temperatures will be near seasonal to slightly below in a lot of areas we're also expecting windy conditions for the south coast uh, gusts potentially up to 70 kilometers an hour for Metro Vancouver Fraser Valley and east part of Vancouver Island there's your your forecast guys I mean, there's nothing there that's really that great to note other than we get an extra hour sleep on Sunday. Tonight's central windows weather window is from the Port Moody area, which even in this type of weather is a gorgeous area, especially with the colors of the trees there. Thank you to Michael Davis for sharing that one with us. But, you know, getting an extra hour of sleep and staying in bed on a rainy Sunday morning is actually a nice thing. With no pressure or expectation that you'd wash your car. Like, I think that's all, all to the positive, Christy. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about my car right now? <laughs> well, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> There's certainly no shiny chrome in the uh, global parking lot right no. now. All right, uh, let's talk about this because it's very cool. The Vancouver Canucks have unveiled a special jersey 
in celebration of Diwali. The team will wear these sweaters during their warm-up Friday night. They're designed by local artist Jag Negra and fe- feature a blend of the Canucks logo and the vibrant colors of the annual Festival of Lights. They will be auctioned off after the game with proceeds going to the Punjabi Market Regeneration Collective. This is the team's fifth annual game night celebration of Diwali. In addition to the jerseys, plans call for special music, Bhangra dancers and drummers. And if you want something cool like that, you don't have to wait for the auction because in a link through the Canucks website, you can buy a hoodie, you can buy a T-shirt with the same logo on it. So it's pretty cool. It's a great design. I I checked it out. I haven't pulled out my credit card yet. (laughs) Uh, After the show. After the show, for sure. Here's Squire now. Okay, so speaking of the Canucks, usually, usually when the Vancouver Canucks win a game in overtime, the winning goal is the big moment. But last night, the big moment was Thatcher Demko making saves in the third period without his stick and without one of his gloves. You know, I got my eyes on the puck and um, I was trying to get a piece of it. He's making saves barehanded. We'll talk about the scramble that saved the game for Vancouver. And the raging Elk Lodge reinvents itself for a boost in business. The pods putting it back on the map in the pandemic. Who's going to throw to Squire? Um, I'll throw to Squire. Okay. Here's Squire. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was excellent. Sometimes we, we talk about it, sometimes we don't. And it was sometimes short we and simple. see what happens. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even talk, talk about it. We don't say anything. Sometimes you guys don't even notice I'm here. But don't worry. I'm okay with that. He's um, not wrong. One thing the Canucks have done on this homestand is keep the opposing team's score low, which is great, except the problem was the Canucks' score was even lower most nights. Until last night, Vancouver got just enough in a 3-2 overtime win against the New York Rangers, and they spotted the Rangers a 2-0 lead after two periods. But while the goals got fans out of their seats, especially the winning goal for J.T. Miller in overtime, The biggest cheers of all were for Thatcher Demko and his teammates defending the net like it was the wall in Game of Thrones during a late New York power play. Just that's the loudest I've you know heard a build in a long time. you know, you know, especially the home rink, like that was that was bumping there for a bit. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, you yeah, just enjoy it. I I actually just turned my head and started laughing. Like it like it was, I hadn't seen anything like that. Uh, that was one of those moments, especially with how loud the building got. It was, it was it, you know, it was pretty incredible just to feel that energy again. And one thing about these scramble saves, Demko had to make them without his stick or his blocker. I went over and talked to the ref after the uh, buzzer had gone to end regulation just to clear up what the, the rule is there. I'd, I don't know, I'd, I thought it was similar to the helmet rule, you know, when something comes off, you, you blow it down. But, um, you know, I'm glad that guys just kept playing. And one of those guys was JT Miller, who took up the position as last line of defense. I'm just glad that those pucks didn't hit me and they hit him. Uh, <laughs> Because he was like laying on his stomach when he threw his leg up. So, I mean, that was nuts. But, you know, it's, uh, you're just trying to keep the puck out and at all costs. It's 2-2 two two with, I don't know, what it was two or three minutes to go. So, I mean, that's, it seemed like it could be a little turning point for us. You know, that we needed that. It was good to hear the crowd really loud like we just talked about. Well, today we found out two superstars from two different sports tested positive for COVID. 
Sidney Crosby is one of them. He is at home with mild symptoms. He had just gotten back to the Penguins after missing eight games from uh, recovering from wrist surgery. Despite the players being double vaccinated, the Penguins have actually had eight players go in the COVID protocol since September. And Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID, so he won't play Sunday against Kansas City. Rodgers is apparently not vaccinated. Because of that, he cannot return until November 13th at the earliest, which would be just one day before the Packers are set to play the Seattle Seahawks. Rodgers is apparently asymptomatic. While Thatcher Demko is not the only good goalie in Vancouver, the Whitecaps' Max Crapo was incredible last night as well, helping Vancouver tie LAFC 1-1 on the road, which means Sunday afternoon's game at BC Place against Seattle will be like the playoff game before the playoffs for Vancouver. All they have to do is tie the Sounders and Vancouver is in the postseason. But they were rather, they were beaten rather easily by Seattle in the last game between the Sounders and the Whitecaps. However, Vanny Sartini says that is not a good game to judge this matchup on. He is not afraid of the Sounders. We can do it. We can do it. Even when we lost in Seattle, we could have scored a ton of goals, to be honest. And uh, I think we have the, I think we have the weapon to, to, to be harmful. I don't know if it's a word to them. Uh, so we'll try to do, to beat Seattle and uh, to celebrate with our fan at the end uh, of the day, Sunday afternoon. Now the other tenant at BC Place Stadium, the Lions, have been the opposite of the Whitecaps. Unlike Vancouver Whitecaps, the Lions got off to a good start to the season. In fact, there was a time BC was 4-2. and two. But that was five losses ago. And they would have stopped the streak on the weekend in Toronto if they could have made a field goal. Kick is up. It's clear of the hands. Oh! Missed it, but it's out the back. That was a tough one. Um... I can't lie, it lingered a bit, but um, we're over it now, and obviously we got to be on to the to the next one. But are they really over it? Jimmy Camacho's over three field goal performance sealing the Lions' latest fate in the win-loss column. BC's lost five straight football games, and if you want to pinpoint how and why this keeps on happening, flip a couple pages back on your calendar when the Lions self-imploded at home against the Riders back in Week Eight. That was the start of this month-long tumble down the standings. That uh, Saskatchewan game at home, which was very winnable, which would have got us to five and two, I believe. For some reason, it knocked us off our track a little bit. And um, and I, I don't know if a little bit of confidence was lost, um, but I we're not we're just looking for more continuity and consistency. The Lions are now four and seven on the season and with three games left to play, desperate to get any kind of winning vibes back hopefully starting Friday in Hamilton. When you lose, it's different because you don't get that reward and that feeling, but you also kind of hang on to it a hell of a lot longer than 36 hours. So it sucks to have one uh, or two and five uh, obviously is terrible uh, to have to feel that way for over a month, right? Like, so that, you know, it's never fun. All right, back to you guys. Well, thank you, Squire. You're welcome. And up next, Adventure Pods, how a BC Wilderness Lodge is luring its customers back. 
Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at PacificBlueCross.ca. Well, the pandemic has forced many BC businesses to think outside the box. In the case of a ski resort hostel in Fernie, they had to find a way to deal with the reduced capacity required to allow for social distancing. And as Kylie Stanton reports, they found their inspiration in Japan. Tucked away beneath the snow-capped mountains in downtown Fernie is a place countless tourists have called home, at least for a little while. We got 4,000 square feet of common space to relax. We got a pool table, ping pong table, sauna. But when the pandemic hit, the usually quiet mountain town got even quieter. And of course, so did Raging Elk Adventure Lodging. We wanted to pivot in every which way we could to be able to survive. COVID didn't force the closure of the facility, but it did mean rooms designed for four, six, eight, or even ten budget travellers could only accommodate one, which meant the establishment's capacity dropped dramatically from 49 to just six customers. The owners had to hike prices from 30 to $50 per night. But even that fell far short of making up lost revenue. And so they decided to get creative. So this is our pod floor. Taking inspiration from a Japanese trend, they created self-contained pods, complete with outlets, lighting, and all you need for a good night's sleep, but also compliant with public health orders. Each pod is socially distanced and offset from each other. And while there are half as many beds as before, and pricing has remained at $50 per night, the feedback has been nothing but positive. Especially in these times of COVID, it makes feeling uh, safe um, in a hostile environment for sure. With the international borders set to open up, they're ready to welcome guests beyond Canada. Ladies' washroom. Amenities now all in place, from showers to the bar. It's a little piece of Canada. But even after COVID restrictions have lifted, this is a model that's expected to stick. Safe, affordable, and now with an added level of privacy. It's the first time many people have seen or experienced this type of product in this region. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It's cozy. Exactly. After a cool day on the mountain, that'd be pretty nice. All right, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So we continue with rain, although we see some dry patches here and there expected to continue on and off for the next couple of days. All right. Thanks, Christy. Good luck to everybody up for Webster Awards, including the Global BC team. Have a good night. Night all.